Lucky the gym's just down the hall or I probably wouldn't have even heard you. It's a big place. Yes, that was lucky. He moved back into the house. He didn't shake my hand, and I remembered that from the time I first met him four years before. He led the way, leaving it to me to close the front door. Do you mind if I uh, finish up on the bike while we talk? No, that's fine. We walked down a marble hallway, Taylor staying three steps ahead of me as if I were entourage. He was probably most comfortable that way, and that was all right with me. It gave me time to look around. The bank of windows on the left gave a view of the opulent grounds, a soccer field-sized rectangle of rolling green that led to what I assumed was a guest house, and or a pool house or both. There was a golf cart parked outside of the distant structure, and I could see tracks back and forth across the manicured green leading to the main house. I had seen a lot in L.A., from the poorest ghettos to mountaintop mansions, but it was the first time inside the city limits I'd ever seen a homestead so large that a golf cart was necessary to get from one side to the other. Along the wall on the right were framed one-sheets from the many films Alexander Taylor had produced. I had seen a few of them when they made it to television and seen commercials for the rest. For the most part, they were the kind of action films that neatly fit into the confines of a 30-second commercial. No pressing need afterward to actually see the movie. None would ever be considered art by any meaning of the word. But in Hollywood, they were far more important than art. They were profitable. And that was the bottom line of all bottom lines. Taylor made a sweeping right, and I followed him into the gym. The room brought new meaning to the idea of personal fitness to me. All manner of weight machines were lined against the walls, and at center was what appeared to be a full-size boxing ring. Taylor smoothly mounted a stationary bike, pushed a few buttons on the digital display in front of him, and started pedaling. Mounted side by side and high on the opposite wall were three large flat-screen televisions tuned to competing 24-hour news channels and the Bloomberg Business Report. The sound on the Bloomberg screen was up. Taylor lifted a remote control and muted it. Again, it was a courtesy I wasn't expecting. When I had spoken to his secretary to make the appointment, she had made it sound like I would be lucky to get a few questions in while the great man worked his cell phone. No partner? Taylor asked. I thought you guys worked in pairs. I like to work alone. I left it at that for the moment. I stood silently as Taylor got up to a rhythm on the cycle. He was in his late forties, but he looked much younger. Maybe just surrounding himself with the equipment and machinery of health and youthfulness did the trick, whether you used them or not. Then again, maybe it was the face peels and Botox injections. I can give you three miles, he said, as he pulled the towel from around his neck and draped it over the handlebars. About twenty minutes. That'll be fine. I started pulling a notebook out of an inside coat pocket. It was a spiral notebook and the wire coil caught on the jacket's lining. I felt like a jackass trying to get it loose and finally just jerked it free. I heard the lining tear, but smiled away the embarrassment. Taylor cut me a break by looking away and up at one of the silent television screens. I think it's the little things I miss most about my former life. For more than 20 years, I carried a small bound notebook in my coat pocket. Spiral notebooks weren't allowed. A smart defense attorney could claim pages of exculpatory notes had been torn out. 
The bound notebooks took care of that problem and were easier on the jacket lining at the same time. I was uh, glad to hear from you, Taylor said. It has always bothered me about Angie, to this day. She was a good kid, you know. And all this time, I thought you guys had just given up on her, that she didn't matter. I nodded. I had been careful with my words when I had spoken to the secretary on the phone. While I had not lied to her, I had been guilty of leading her and letting her assume things. It was a necessity. If I had told her I was an ex-cop working freelance on an old case, then I was pretty sure I wouldn't have gotten anywhere near the box office champ for the interview. Uh, before we start, I think there might have been a misunderstanding. I don't know what your secretary told you, but I'm not a cop. Not anymore. Taylor coasted for a moment on the pedals, but then quickly worked back into his rhythm. His face was red and he was sweating freely. He reached to a cup holder on the side of the digital control board and took out a pair of half glasses and a slim card that had his production company's logo at the top, a square with a maze-like design of curls inside it, and several handwritten notations below it. He put on the glasses and squinted anyway as he read the card. That's not what I have here, he said. I've got LAPD Detective Harry Bosch at ten. Audrey wrote this. She's been with me for eighteen years, since I was making straight-to-video Drek in the Valley. She's very good at what she does, and usually very accurate. Well, that was me for a long time, but not for about a year. I retired. I might not have been very clear about that on the phone. I wouldn't blame Audrey if I were you. I won't. He glanced down at me, tilting his head forward to see over the glasses. So then, what can I do for you, detective, or, uh, or I guess I should say Mr. Bosch?